Welcome to Entrepreneur Conundrum with Virginia Purnell, where growing entrepreneurs share how they get visible online. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Shayla Boyd-Gill about how she helps smart SEOs grow their business and meet their goals. Shayla has an interesting story about homeschooling her six children. Her first child was very bright, and the curriculum taught at school wasn't enough for him. This was the time when Shayla decided to go on the homeschooling route. She wanted to free up her time to teach him, but she also had to provide for her family. She went from bankruptcy to a multiple six-figure business. Now Shayla is a family freedom and affluence mentor and a creator of the Lexer Business Sales System and a sales strategist who shows women entrepreneurs how to have it all, family, freedom, and affluence, while doing what they love. She teaches her clients, service-based businesses, to restructure their businesses and lives by boosting their high-ticket sales so they can make more money in less time without a heavy client load. Welcome, Shayla. Thank you so much, Virginia. Really great to be here. I'm excited to have you on today. So when you started this, so were you an entrepreneur before you started homeschooling? I was not. Well, you know, technically, no. <laughs> legally, no, I was not an entrepreneur. <laughs> I will definitely say, like many people, always had something that I was really good at doing and had the ability to be able to make money on the side. So I had side hustles. It all started, I believe, in college for me. I understood that I was really good at baking. So one of my first businesses was actually I had a cookie company and a cheesecake company. And the really funny thing about that, Virginia, I couldn't stand cheesecake, but I knew how to make them really well. I was so committed to having some side money in college that I started this business called Shea Cheese because I wanted my name to be in there, but I called it C-H-A-Z. Whole nother story. Anyway, I had a, co- a cooking, a baking business, and I understood that I, if I needed money, I could generate money. That's something, a gift that I always had. I knew I would never be without money. I could always generate what I needed when I needed it. And so that was a gift that I had. Which is such a blessing. Yes. (laughs) And we all have it. We all have it. It's just, we forget sometimes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We have to find that. So so you went from cheesecake. Did you still do the bakery aspect post-college or when you were starting the that aspect with your family or did you yeah once the family came along what I understood with the baking is I still had a love for it but that hobby and that love turned into a lot of work as more orders were requested had a few children and like with the first one I was still working as you as you read but at a certain point we did decide to homeschool and so we then turned to a vegan cookie company And I got onto a radio show by a fluke. The radio host asked me to send him some cookies. I did. And he started raving about these vegan cookies. These were (laughs) Clyde Kids cookies. What I didn't understand was you get sudden, a sudden influx of orders that turned into work, a production. And I did not have the capacity to maintain that production nor a plan because it was a hobby. It was, I make money when I need money. I didn't know that thousands of people wanted cookies. <laughs> so that's that ended that era of me doing the baking for the sake of money. I bake and or cook because I love to, but I don't do it for money anymore. Did you find that it kind of took the love of, or like the enjoyment out of it away for you? Yeah, it was one of those things. And, and I definitely believe this for anyone that's literally considering entrepreneurship, just because you may love to do something as a hobby, doesn't mean that it should be the business that you're running. And you really have to look at 
you know, do I love this enough to do it, to get up every day and do it and make this a part of who I am? Or do I love it just enough just to celebrate with other people every once in a while? (laughs) And for me, it was my way of expressing love and joy to friends, family, and people that enjoyed the goods that I produced every once in a while. I did not want to do this every single day. I realized I don't want to be covered in flour every day. I don't want to be in front of the oven every day baking. It's cute for the moment, but I could not see myself wanting to do that long-term. For getting up super early or trying to keep no, your and, and the running to the post office with kids. Nope, not doing it. <laughs> Again, I didn't have the proper plan for it. It was just something took off. I'm like, that's great. Glad I learned that lesson early. And that leads me like there was, I think his name is Eric Edmonds, but he was like, if you are going to start a business because you love it, build it and set it up in such a way that you have an exit strategy, like a legitimate way of selling your business in five years because interest change. Interests absolutely change. And so again, it doesn't mean that the model couldn't have worked. I just did not have a model or a plan in place. It took off. It was like the accidental business. (laughs) It took off and I was like, oh, so if you do choose to do it, business plans, it could be a one cheater, but have have an idea. What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? How long do you want to be a part of it? And any business that I build now, I build it as if I'm going to sell it. That's a smarter way of doing business. And so if you do decide I'm tired of it, I want to be able to exit you can package it up nicely. You have everything in place and you can sell it and pass it on to the next person so they can deal with it. So have you done that before then? I have sold an online retail store for baby products. And so I've had many businesses. One of the things after bringing my son home and homeschooling and realizing that we were not going to do the baking business full-time, I did get into teaching childbirth education, and also becoming a doula. As a result of that, I understood there was still a way that I could nurture and support those clients because they were more the holistic clients. They wanted to do the holistic lifestyle. So they had an interest in doing cloth diapering, breastfeeding, all kinds of natural things. So I got an online store and went to the manufacturers of these cloth diapers that were becoming a trend in the early 2000s. There were many of us that created online stores for the cloth diaper industry. Once I built that store up and had a good list of people that were buying and we already had the marketing for it in place, we kept that until about 2011 or 12-ish. And after that, I was like, okay, I don't want to hold inventory in my house anymore. You know, we're growing. People are growing. <laughs> right. People are growing. We are really outgrowing everything. And I knew it was time to exit, but exit on a high. And so it was the perfect time for me to say, hey, this business is already up, running, you know, ready to go, already has the marketing in place. Sales are there. It was easy to be able to sell that cloth diapers take up a lot of room (laughs) right man and then it came every color every pattern it was cute but it was a lot (laughs) if you notice the trend here the trend Virginia is I don't like to work hard and everything I did that ended up becoming more and more work I'm like oh no this is not for me and it doesn't mean that you don't like to work No, not that I don't like to work. I don't like to work hard. Meaning I don't want my day. And this is something you need to identify for yourself too. I don't want my days 
consumed by my work. I believe in building a business that will give me the ability to leverage my time and have the ability to be with my growing family, but not be overwhelmed or sacrifice that time that I want to spend with them and taking care of myself for the sake of the business. Do you ever feel torn or did you ever feel torn? Of course, of course. When you're in the building phase, yes. When you're in the beginning and I got to get the thing off the ground or in my case now as someone that's in the coaching and consulting industry, you always have that moment of feeling torn or guilt when you have to go before, you know, pandemic, -pandemic, (laughs) pre-pandemic, when you're going (laughs) to the conferences out of town, when I would travel, But I understood and I had to create this for myself that the guilt wasn't necessary because everything that I chose to do within my business was not only for me, but for my family. And so when you start spinning that conversation, and this is the conversation I used to have with my husband, I'm doing X so that we can Z. And I teach my clients to do that too, because most of the time as women, if we're approaching business and we're sharing it with a partner that may not be an entrepreneur, that may be a nine to fiver, as we call it here, that person's like looking for stability. (laughs) They could really, they really don't care that much about what all your business takes. And so when you're taking time away from them and, or the family, if I'm approaching it from, oh, I have a business and this thing is for me so that I can make this money. That's only reflecting what the benefit is for me, not the benefit for that person and or the family. So they need to feel like they're included in your business. And the way I teach it again is I'm doing X so that we, you have to include the we in there. So if it's so that we can spend more time together so that we can make sure that we can take care of the kids college so that we can get the house we need, whatever the we is, make sure that's included. My children understand the we conversation too. So when mommy's gone for another event, they understand mommy's gone to this event so that we can, whatever that thing is that we want to do. And X is only for a short time. Very short time. They know mom's always going to return. I've gone away too. And one time it was for like three weeks. It was like, are we miss the kids? I'm like, no, I know no. they're going to be no. when I get back. <laughs> it's just a short time. <laughs> exactly. And, and the real truth around this is if we're doing this work and not only are you taking care of your family and taking care of your clients, you do have to have that reprieve. You do have to have that moment that's for you. You need a moment. I believe in monthly hotel getaways for me. <laughs> people would say, your people are okay with you doing that? Your husband's, I was like, I'm a grown woman. He understands if I need a weekend at a hotel to breathe, it's okay. But I know for me, that's my way of resetting myself so that I can be the better wife, the better mom and the better CEO. Yeah. We call it a mom break. <laughs> need it. I'm guilt-free. <laughs> I have one scheduled next month. You were mainly focused with service-based businesses, but who would be like your ideal avatar? Okay, great question. And my avatar has shifted as I've grown and elevated, my avatar is elevated. So I now focus on six-figure women entrepreneurs that are family-centered like myself that really want to elevate and scale their business to 500,000 or more in annual revenue. And the reason I really focus in that lane is because I have worked with new and aspiring businesses for a long time, but my clients grew with me. 
And so as they grew, I'm like, they no longer need how to start a business. Now they're needing how to scale a business. And so people will typically come to me at like 75,000 and up in their business. And I like to say they probably between 75 and 250, that's where they're stuck. And they're trying to figure out how do I grow the business without taking up more of my time or maxing myself out. That's the thing they're trying to deal with next on their plate. Do you have like a quick tip that you could give on how they can maximize their time? Like what you would suggest? Absolutely. So one of the things that I really love teaching my clients is how to build a high ticket business model. And so your high ticket business model, you know, there are absolutely some myths that are associated with it. And some of the myths, I'll give you a few. There may be a myth of, I don't have the authority to have a high ticket offer or high ticket business model. There may be a myth of people won't buy high ticket from me, or there's the myth of it takes too long to sell high ticket. One of the things I love to do is debunk those three myths, because what we know for sure is time-wise, the same amount of time that it takes to sell a low ticket offer is just about the same for a high ticket offer, but it's less work. That's number one. Number two, you're your own authority. So we're not waiting for someone to say, oh, now you've graduated, you can charge high ticket. It's what you've created and what the experience is that you're providing for your clients, which will determine what's going to be high ticket. And number three, people won't buy from you. We know it's a myth because we see people purchasing high ticket all the time. What people don't buy is BS. That's what they don't buy. Right. Who needs more of that in their life? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And like your number one tip, like it's so true. You could put just as much effort into selling something at a low price as you do a high price. You might as well just go high. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you're looking for a $10,000 month, for example, and you have a 197 offer, you have to sell 50 of those 197 offers versus if you had a $5,000 offer, it's two. I'd rather talk to enough people to sell to whatever I'm selling versus trying to get as many ads out as possible and emailing and putting everyone in 500 funnels just to get 50 people or 50 qualified people to buy at 197. And you probably like, let's say selling that $5,000 item, you probably one are already pre-qualifying people, but then you're not really getting people that are wanting you to like, oh, well, can you do it at this, at a discount or exactly. I love that you said pre-qualifying. Pre-qualifying is essential. And for me, if time is one of the things that I really value vetting, (laughs) who's getting on the (laughs) phone with me. So the thing that I teach my clients and I do for myself is it's not your obligation to get on the phone with everyone. It's your job to get on the phone with the right people. Your pre-qualifying process may look like an application. If you're using an application, people are applying to be able to book a call with you. You can ask those pre-qualifying questions and use that as a vetting process to make sure that you're getting on the call with the right person. So let me, let's say, for example, one of the questions that I may have on my application, it speaks about their if they're ready to invest. So I may have three answers. It may be absolutely, I'm ready to invest. I have access to the resources. The second answer may be, give me a minute. I can get access to the resources. The third answer is, I'm not willing to figure out, figure it out. I don't have it. I don't have access to the resource. Well, 
obviously I'm not going to speak to person number three because they've already told me they're not willing to figure out what they can do financially or they don't have access to the money. So we're not going to put you through a cycle of let's have a conversation. If you've already told me, I'm not willing to invest in myself. The other two people I'm more likely to have conversations with. But interesting enough, Virginia, the person that says, give me a minute, I can get access to the resources. Those are typically the ones that buy. The people that say, I have it, I'm ready to go. They may buy or they may be bluffing just because Mm -hmm. they feel like they're giving you the answers that you want to see. Mm -hmm. So I'm more interested in those middle people that say, give me a minute because they're thinking about it. They're willing to think about it. And they're saying, I can do it. Just give me a second. Let me figure it out. When you ask them that question, do you kind of give them like a range of what the price would be too? Yes. So I will test like with my applications. Sometimes I will say, you know, this is a four figure offer. And I will say, you know, I'll give them a range. Or sometimes I will say starting at, I may say starting at $3,500. So they know. Her minimum's 35. We don't know what it's going to go up to based on the conversation, but they have an idea. This is not a conversation about a $500 offer. I may, if I don't put a dollar amount there, I may say this is a four-figure offer. Payment plans are available. So they can understand, okay, if it's four figures, I can still cut this up into payment plans and we can talk about it. So how do you get in front of your new prospects, clients, customers? Like, what are you doing that way? Yeah. Some of my favorite ways of getting in front of an audience would be speaking. And so pre-COVID, it would be speaking at other people's events because number one, they already have their own vetted audience. So if they're having a conference or event and I'm invited, I'm already a vetted guest. And so that eliminates some of that questioning that's there because this is our trusted speaker that's coming here. Now you're so, a warm audience. Yeah, they're in there and they're warm audience. If it's speaking at their event, if it's speaking at other people inside of other people's mastermind groups, it could be me doing my own masterclass. So having ads, that's a colder audience. So we know for like a masterclass, if it's a cold audience, your show up rate is going to be a little bit lower because it's a cold audience. Anyone can say yes to attend a free event and you may get 30% of those people that show up (laughs) out of, you know, whomever signed up Mm -hmm. or less. So that's a slower way, unless you're going to put more money behind it to get more volume, but it's still not guaranteed. And a big one that works for me, Virginia, is also word of mouth. So if my clients are having an amazing time in my inner circle, for example, they already know who to tell or they're already associated with people that could benefit from my service. So I'd rather pay them a bonus or give them a gift for bringing someone to me that says, this is a great person to work with, or I've had a great experience working with Shayla. Word of mouth marketing is not dead. It works wonders. I was going to ask if you have like a referral program. Yes, absolutely. It's my favorite. (laughs) Right? And two, then you tend to know the person that's referring. You can always tailor if you want to spend that time, like tailor the gift to them or whatever you're doing. Exactly. With like pre-COVID, you were going out and doing speaking and stuff like that. Like, have you kind of restructured or rethought about moving forward as things open up, like what your plans are with that? Absolutely. So I am still doing speaking, but virtually. I've hosted more of my own masterclasses. I 
also participate in some, like sometimes in different groups. I'm in people's groups and I'm speaking in those groups. I am personally hosting my own three-day event this year. It's going to be virtual though. So I've not booked any, that's not true. I have one event in the fall that I've booked that I'll be speaking at in person, but that's it. Everything else I've booked for this current year is still virtual. Which helps save, let's say, energy for you, right? It helps save energy. And even, for example, for my three-day event for the Lecture Business Experience, because there's a certain quality person that I'm wanting to attend this event, they're benefiting because they are family-oriented. They're like me. We know we're all Zoomed out. However, we're creating this luxury experience for them. That's going to be pretty exquisite. I have some tips for them to not get Zoomed out. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I may suggest, why don't you take this as your weekend hotel getaway so that you can really focus on your event and really have this experience. And even like the things we're sending to them in their Lux swag box, really good stuff. I'm like, we're not doing our typical clappers and things of that nature. We're going to have some nice things to help you to have a true experience that will elevate your time that you're spending in front of the computer. I'm just thinking bubble bath. (laughs) Right, exactly, right? (laughs) Without someone knocking on the door, mommy. Right? (laughs) Because that's what happens to me, right? (laughs) So do you, what are some of your goals that you have over the next couple of years? Next couple of years, definitely wanting to, number one, introducing luxury retreats starting next year. I really love to travel. A lot of my clients travel is, that's our way of doing what we do. So we will include luxury retreats and workshops. So this will cause me, I'm going to eliminate some of the actual coaching that I do year long, and we're going to do them in retreat slash workshop form instead. We'll also every year be hosting our three-day event. It will be live next year, as long as the world is doing its best (laughs) in the way that it's working. Um, Long-term, which everyone kind of giggles at, but my long-term goal is to own at least one to two luxury retreat properties of my own that are built for women entrepreneurs. Like I want a space for women to be able to get away, work in their business and work on themselves in a beautiful environment. I think we just need it. We're more creative when we have things that feel amazing around us. And sometimes you need that to just to get ideas out of your head and just to flow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You said that and for some reason I thought Montana. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, wherever we got to go, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. How would doing like those retreats and stuff like that, how could that affect your business? The way it will affect it is number one, it's going to be less time that I'm going to spend coaching. Like, especially if it's one-to-one coaching, I'll be spending less time in the one-to-one coaching and more time doing like focus, laser focus coaching for clients. A lot of people, once they've gotten into a six-figure model, you don't need like weekly coaching or two times a month coaching. You might need an intensive more of an intensive style. I just need to fix this thing and work on this project and I'm ready to go. So it will allow me to work with more women, to touch more women and get their businesses to their next level. And they just come in for an infusion when they need it. And I think that's going to be helpful for me because it won't require a lot of my, a lot of team, I would say. I don't have to expand my team in order to expand the business and get into your seven figure, multiple second figures 
we can still do the work that we're doing and always do it with my model, less time and more money. Yeah, the one, the many, yeah. Right. And for me, you know, I've always said, I don't want a business model that is, I don't want volume. My goal is not to have thousands of clients. That's not what I want. Never desired it. I'm very boutique-ish. <laughs> so for some of my clients, they want the volume for most of my clients though, they're more boutique. So in your boutique model, you're definitely looking at a higher price. Again, it's more experimental or experiential for my clients. I always say we have like seven Lux touch points. What I teach my clients, if we apply the seven Lux touch points to it, your pricing, it can range from, you know, you can have a hundred thousand dollar offer with ease and you don't need a lot of clients if you have a hundred thousand dollar offer. Right. Are some of them like kind of nervous to get of to, like, to offer that? <laughs> of course. Heck I was. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I was. You I know was. <laughs> but but I understand the value and the experience and also the transformation. Like you're not going to offer something for a hundred thousand dollars and not really transform someone's business and or life. That just doesn't make sense. We can't, I always love to tell my people, you can't sell BS. People can smell it a mile away. But if you're able to really package up that experience for the person and actually make the changes that you're promising, people will invest in what they value. That's what we know. If you look at the way people shop for cars, clothes, even bags, I always tell people, if you think of something like, like an Aramis Birkin bag, for example, you have bags that are from like $2,000 or $20,000 to $200,000. Not everyone's going to walk around with a $200,000 bag, but someone thought it was valuable enough to walk around with that bag. <laughs> they wanted something unique, exquisite, and that gave them an experience and they were willing to invest in that. That's not for everyone. It's a more exclusive client that's buying that bag. So the same for you, if you have a high ticket business model, I don't have, all of my offers are not hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't make sense for my audience. If I told you there's 75 to 250 on average, but there's someone out there that may be beyond that, that needs something different that will invest that hundred thousand dollars. I know the pocket and the range for the pricing, which I call my Lux pricing for my core clients. I know what they value. I know what they'll invest in. And I know what they're not afraid of investing in. You've done your client research, right? You've done your market. You've talked to your clients. You've done that. Yeah, the key is, you know, not making it up. So where people may say, well, you know, if I have a low ticket business model and I want to move to a high ticket business model, I'm just going to throw some zeros on the end of this. That's not high ticket. <laughs> That's foolish. It's a setup, <laughs> you know, and if you don't value it, you're not going to be able to sell it. That's just the key right there. You can't sell BS. We can't sell what we don't even believe in. It doesn't work. Yeah. Do you think there's anything holding you back from achieving your goals? The biggest drawback that I've always had and that I have to continue to work on, which is why I invest in coaches and mentors myself, is asking for help. Definitely the hyper-independent nurturer mom <laughs> used to do it at all. And when you bring that same independence into your business, it can be a gift, but it, it can also be a curse. And so for me, I could have team members, like I may have my team member, my graphic designer, for example, her job is to design things, right? And, I'm, and I may have a moment where I'm saying, oh, we need to get this thing together. Let me go and create it. And she's like, Shayla, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, can you do that for me? Because in my <laughs> mind, I could do that. 
But the better thing to really address is that the best way to use your time and mm-hmm. energy. And it's not. And so I do have to really be in, empower myself to ask for help and actually use the help that I'm paying for and ask for assistance and share my ideas and be okay with not feeling like I'm bothering people when you're paying to bother people. So <laughs> I, I do, I have to address that with myself because I'm so independent that sometimes I'm like, I'll do it myself. And it's not worth me doing it myself because I'm not going to do it as well as the other person who's that's her gift. And I'm trying to jump into her path, her lane, and that's not my lane. Yeah, so true. Different direction now. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, I love this one. The best advice I've ever received was from one of my coaches in probably 2014 or 15. As you read in my bio, I'd gone from, like it says, from bankruptcy to multiple six figures. So after I had an experience with bankruptcy, that was 2010. For a good four to five years, I carried that guilt and shame of the bankruptcy. And it didn't mean that I was a bad person. I just felt bad about the experience I had with money. And so one of my coaches just really reminded me, she reminded me, she says, listen, you're not a bad person. (laughs) You did what was necessary and it's done. And as a matter of fact, it helped you so that you could move forward. But what you have to start doing is remember that you're not a liability. You are an asset. You keep treating yourself like a liability, which is slowing down your progress. And until you treat yourself as if you're an asset, you're going to continue to have the same struggles over and over again. That was one of the best pieces of advice I had experienced because it she tapped into the old guilt that I was carrying that was literally weighing me down. And when I sat back and said, you know what? You are pretty fabulous. You made a mistake, but, you know, give yourself enough grace to clean it up, do it over. I was able to move differently as a CEO. Yeah, it doesn't define you. Exactly. And even though we know that, deep down, we know that we'll still carry it over different things in our lives. Just out of curiosity, and it's like, feel free to answer or not answer, but from when you were like, yeah, like that's not who I am. How long was it until you were able to see, like say like that multiple or six figure success that you're able to achieve? Good question. So that conversation again, that was 14 or 15 when 2014 or 15, my first six figure month was not until 2000, it was August, 2017. And so up until that point, I worked behind the scenes. I had my own business. Then I worked behind the scenes with a few seven-figure business influencers out here, other coaches. And the reason I knew I was growing is because I worked behind the scenes selling for them. And I was like, you're pretty freaking good at selling. Why are you not doing your own stuff like this? This is crazy, (laughs) Shayla. And so literally I'm selling 20,000, 40,000, and even their $100,000 offers. But in my own business, I kept my prices low and what I called achievable. I kept them like pretty, pretty low and new people would say yes to them, but I was slaying it for other people. And (laughs) during that time when I heard, I kept hearing you're an asset, you're you're an asset. And I'm like, clearly I'm an asset because I'm doing this for everyone else. Can we please do it for ourselves? And so 
over that time when I was behind the scenes, I've really put together my own system of selling. I'm like, what is it that you're doing well? Why are you so good at this? Why do people keep calling you to do this? And so I put together my own system of selling high ticket. And then I look at, you know, what are people offering? how would I do it differently? Or what is it I love about it? And there are things I needed to tweak because for me, time was important. A lot of the offers I saw were really time intensive. So I flipped a lot of my ways of creating offers and pricing my services, but also really documented my own sales process and tweak things. And that's when I packaged all of that together. I was able to have my first seven figure month, six figure month, I'm sorry, in my own business. That's so exciting. It was. <laughs> I remember it was my birthday month too. I was, I'm born in mm-hmm. August. So this was August, 2017. And I was like, really, this just happened. And that happened with only six phone calls. I talked to six people and every one of the people that I spoke with purchased that offer. And I think it was like $31,000 or something like that. Each one of them purchased the offer, the offer that I made. That's awesome. Yeah. Such a great birthday gift and like yes. the confidence booster type of thing. Too. Yeah, the confidence. After that, I was like, you can't tell me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was like, I'm not behind the scenes anymore. I am in front. <laughs> it's like, thank you for the opportunity, but I am exactly not <laughs> like appreciate it. Thank you. I needed my time, but I'm good now. <laughs> What's the best advice that you have ever given? Really simple. It's just keep going. And I know it sounds so simple. We hear it but you have to really embody the spirit of keep uh, to keep going. So you have to embody the reason why you're doing what you're doing. You have to embody the goals that you have for your business and or for yourself. And that use that as a driver so that you can keep going on those days when it's like, okay, I don't want to, it's feeling slow. This is overwhelming. Just remind yourself, you have to keep going. If you stop, you can't expect what you're saying you desire to actually occur because you're not doing the work. So true. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to share with us? No, I think we, we covered a nice area, <laughs> a <laughs> lot of pieces here. And I just really appreciate the opportunity just to have the conversation. And, you know, just one of the things I love about having conversations like this is just really being able to be transparent and show the path is not smooth, but once you get it, it's good. A lot more enjoyable. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shayla. Thank you. How can everyone find out more about you and what you do? Yeah. So a great way to find out about me is just to find me on social media. I'm under my name on all of the platforms. So Shayla Boyd Gill, if it's on Facebook, it's Shayla Boyd Gill, IG Gill, and everything else is Shayla Boyd Gill. That's on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Pinterest, all of those places. And the website is shaylaboygill.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. Keep in touch. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and leave some love through a review. And I'll catch you on the next episode.